You are listening to Venture Church Podcast. For more information, visit jointheventure.com or facebook.com slash jointheventure. We hope you enjoy. Compassion. Compassion. Today is Compassion Sunday at Venture Church. And what I want to do today is take a look at a story about Jesus and his compassion. We're going to be reading a story about Jesus from uh, the book of Matthew. It's a book all about Jesus and his life and teachings. It's in the Bible. Uh, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, if you've got a Bible, you can go and turn there. Also, just in case uh, you're interested, we give away free Bibles to anybody who wants one. Uh, some of them are scattered around the floor underneath your uh, chairs, and others are back there by the coffee. But please grab them before you leave today if you need one. You can also follow along on the screen behind me. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 35. And let's check out this first verse as we jump right in. Here we go. Matthew 9, 35. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and, check this out, healing every disease and sickness. Healing every disease and sickness. As Jesus traveled, he gathered quite a following. And there are probably a lot of reasons why, but honestly, probably the number one reason that I can imagine is because he was healing people's diseases and sicknesses, and people were flocking to that. My, my, my wife and my mother-in-law, they're really into this natural healing and remedies. Uh, who knew there were so many essential oils, you know? And uh, odds are if you're sick or you're not feeling good and you go tell one of them about it, they're going to recommend that you probably like rub a flower of some kind on it or chew on some kind of root they found in the yard. Um, and <laughs> but I'll be honest, it works. I used to be a skeptic of this kind of stuff. Maybe you are too. And I, I, you know, I joked my wife. I kind of called her like a witch doctor and stuff like that. And, and But she would say, look, just try it. Just try it out. And I'm like, fine, I'll be a guinea pig. I'll try it. And if a day later or so, it feels better. It, it works. You know, one thing that I grow a little bit weary of is all the time I'm just sitting in front of the TV and I see all these ads for new drugs, uh, new pharmaceutical products. And at the end of each one of those commercials, there's that ominous warning, you know, that's at the end of that commercial, it says something like, this product has been shown to cause the growth of a third arm from the forehead in one out of 25,000 cases. Risks include death, seizures, schizophrenia, and hemorrhoids. Do not take this product while consuming food, water, or while breathing. Like, who wants to take that risk? I mean, that's not something I want to take into account as I'm taking, I wanted to, I wanted to fix me. I wanted to heal me. And because when I see that something is not working, I don't have anything to do with it. But when I see that something is working, I mean, sign me up. I'm going to tell my friends about it. We flock to it. And that's the number one appeal of Jesus as he travels. Like there's this guy who was crippled since birth and he runs to his friend's house runs to his friend's house. You catch what I'm doing? The cripple guy runs to his friend's house. You know what he says? I met this guy named Jesus and he healed me. Jesus healed blind people. There's this one blind guy that Jesus healed. Some of the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders in Jewish uh, culture didn't like Jesus. And so they go to this blind guy that was healed by Jesus and they say, you need to renounce what happened and you need to tell the truth that Jesus is a liar and a fake and a phony and he's just setting people up. He's a con artist. And this guy says, uh, actually, let's just read it. John chapter 9, verse 24 through 25. says, a second time, they summoned this man who had been blind. They say, give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. I love the guy's honest reply. He said, uh, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I know, I was blind, 
But now I see. There's no need for lab tests here. There's no need for a focus group study. The proof is in the stories of the lives of people that Jesus touched. And the stories all say the same thing. Jesus works. He changes people's lives. So thousands of people flock to Jesus. And many of them are coming to be healed or to ask for healing for, for someone else. That even more are coming to Jesus just to see the show. Is, is this thing for real? Could, could Jesus actually be from God like he says he is? You might be wondering, I know I have, and many people have asked the question, how did Jesus decide who to heal and who not to heal? And why doesn't he just heal everyone today when they ask for it? And I'll be honest, that's a great question. And what I want to do is actually address that a little later. But first, I want to stay in the moment of Matthew chapter 9 and continue the story. It says Jesus is teaching in synagogues, which is like a church building for Jewish people. And it says he's healing people. And as a result, when Jesus entered the city, there was typically quite a commotion. And this time is no different. I want to take just a second to imagine what it must have been like for Jesus in these moments. Thousands of people, tens of thousands of people at some time. And these people are brokenhearted, living in broken marriages. They've got broken lives. Some of them literally have broken arms, broken legs, maybe a broken bank account. Broken people. And they're coming to Jesus for healing. Verse 36 gives us an idea of what this must have been like for him. Matthew 9, 36 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. It's Compassion Sunday today. And, you know, I want to take a look at our English word, compassion. It actually comes from two Latin words. Uh, first, Com, meaning together or with. Uh, you guys who are you know, Spanish majors in the room, maybe you know a little bit of Spanish. Uh, the word con with an N, C-O-N, is the word with. Same basic word, com, with. The second half of the word compassion is, is the word passion. comes from the Latin passi, which means to suffer or, or to endure great pain. And so when you put them together, you end up with this idea of suffer together or suffer alongside of or suffer with. It says Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. He suffered with them. He embodied their pain. If you've enjoyed the little ride on the language train that we were just on, uh, let's take it one step further. Actually, the New Testament wasn't written uh, in Latin. Uh, the original language of the New Testament was, was Greek. And so the word there that's, that ends up translated compassion in, in English actually is the Greek word splagna. Splagna. Can we all say that? Splagna. Yeah, good job. Splagna. Splagna. And, and literally that word means uh, guts or intestines. Like this area right here. We would say something broke my heart. Right? I felt it here. They might say, I felt it in my gut. Or my guts were wrenched and knotted up over that situation. And so if you just kind of kind of uh, literally 
translate out what is written there in Greek, it would say something like, Jesus saw the crowds and he had splagna on them. He saw them and his guts were tied in knots. Made him sick to his stomach. He had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You might be wondering uh, about the healing thing. Like, like here's, a, here's a question that a lot of people ha have about Jesus' healing. How did Jesus decide who to heal and who not to heal? You ever thought about that? Like you'd go through a village and some lady would get healed and some guy would get healed, but then there'd be other people. You imagine there's sick people all over the world. Why, why doesn't Jesus just come in and just heal everybody? I, I want you to pause that question if it's one you've had or if it's one that piques your interest. I'm gonna get to it in just a second. It's a pretty interesting concept why maybe he doesn't do that. But I want to stay in the moment of Matthew chapter 9 that we began with, where Jesus is coming in to this village, okay, and he's been healing and teaching, and the crowds are coming to him. Let's take a second look and, and see what it might be like to be a guy with this much anticipation building when he comes to your village. Okay, so Jesus is traveling around, and the word precedes him that he's a great man, that he can heal you. And as he walks up, what kind of pressure does that put on his mind? What kind of thoughts are going through his head? What kind of things is he planning to do? right? These are the questions that might be going through Jesus' head. Let's, let's just think about this. There are people with broken hearts coming to him. There are people with broken lives, broken marriages. Some people have broken arms and broken legs, and they're coming to Jesus, all of them wanting the same thing. Fix me. Fix me. I'm broken. Let's take a look at verse 36 of Matthew chapter 9 just to see uh, what, what's going on with the way Jesus is, is managing it all. It says this in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus comes into the town. What is Jesus thinking? What goes through his mind? What type of weight does he carry? It says when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. It's Compassion Sunday. It's something that we do every, I hope that we'll do every year from here on out. Because I want to raise awareness of a few things, and specifically about the compassion that God has towards us. And so let's take a look at the word compassion. Our English word compassion actually comes from two Latin words. Uh, the first, if you break it right down the middle in the syllables, you've got com, okay, com. The Latin word com is very similar to the Spanish word con. You know that word? What does that mean? With, okay? And so in Latin, the word com can be translated with or, or even more specifically together, Two things together, they come, all right? That's, that's the things that's going on with the word come. The second half of the word compassion comes from the Latin passi, passi. That idea, passi, is, is the idea of suffering or, or pain or enduring. Like when you think about passion, you might think about passionate love. I love someone passionately, right? Well, it didn't adopt that specific reason from what I can understand until like the, the 1500s. But previous to that, the most specific understanding we have of the word uh, a posse or passion is this idea of, of heartfelt, deep suffering. Which if you think about compassionately loving someone or passionately loving someone, that, that's kind of what goes on with you. You love them to the point that it hurts, right? Like that's what love is. And so you've got calm together, posse, passion, uh, suffering. Suffering together. Jesus comes, he sees the crowd, and what does he do? He looks at them, and he has compassion on them. He embodies their suffering. He is suffering 
with them. If you were enjoying the little ride on the language train, we're gonna take it one more stop and go back one more step back. Uh, in, the old, in the New Testament, it was actually not, not originally written in Latin. That was a later translation of the Bible. It was originally written in Greek. The Greek word there, where compassion is translated, is actually the word splagna. Splagna, it's a fun word. Can we say that? Say splagna. Yeah, you're all Greek scholars now. Splagna. Uh, and if you kind of say it like you're a little bit angry and sick in your stomach, it's better like splagna. It's like splagna. What does that mean? The word splagna literally translated means guts or intestines. If you just translated it out or read it out with that original understanding, it would say Jesus saw the crowds and he had splagna on them. Jesus saw the crowds and he had guts on them. We might say it broke my heart. They would say I felt it in my gut. See that? Compassion. Suffering with. Suffering together. I feel it in my guts. And so Jesus walks into these people and he sees the crowd and he has compassion on them. He feels it in his guts. He sees their suffering. He sees their pain. He's like, I want to embody this because it ties my stomach in knots to think about what they're going through. Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion, splagna, suffering together on them. Why? Well, it says there in the second half of the verse, it says, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. In 2002, uh, I spent a couple months, a whole summer in Ghana, in West Africa. I got to spend some time in an orphanage where we worked for a little while and uh, this, this particular orphanage had uh, about 30 orphans living in it and about two or three adult caretakers that were there to take care of the orphans. And you know, what, what I saw there were some horrific stories. The kids were there for a variety of reasons. Each kid has some insane story about how they got there. Some were simply dropped off at the doorstep as an infant, like, oh, there's another baby. Sweet, okay, we'll just add them to the list. Uh, some of them, there was a civil war going on in an adjacent country, and many of, many of those children, their parents were killed or, or missing and so these kids are just orphans, and so they ended up at this orphanage. Others were there because their parents just simply couldn't afford to take care of them, and, and they just did the best they could, so they dropped their kids off at this orphan, orphanage, and there's, there's like 30 of these kids. And I walked through the room that they slept in, and I was blown away. All 30 kids slept in this single room with a dirt floor, and they would all sleep a couple to like a bed sheet for their bed on the ground. Now, that's the way it is a lot of times around the world, but what I noticed that really struck me was that there was nothing in the room, just a couple piles of sheets. Like, I look in my kids' rooms, and I'm like, man, it's just like towers of junk. Like, you, can we get rid of some of this stuff? You go to these kids' rooms, 30 of them, there's nothing to show that they live there, except for in the middle of the room, I think there were three, maybe just two little boys, and they were laying on the sheets, and they were just cuddled up and asleep together. It was like 90 degrees in the middle of the day. All the other kids were outside playing, and I asked, like, what's wrong with these boys? He just said, well, they've been sick, and they just don't have the energy to get up. And so there they lay, and this is their reality. This is what they're living in. And so it's like I walked through there, and I want to use this language that we're learning today about compassion. I walked, and I had splagna compassion that day. My guts were in knots, man. And I was only in, like, in my early 20s, and I, and I I felt like, what can I do? I feel so small. I feel so powerless. I'm thousands of miles away from home. I don't have the resources to help these kids. I'm just standing there helpless. And the best I could give them was compassion. We played kickball with them in a field and we gave them hugs and high five and taught them silly songs. And 
It made one day a little more manageable for them, but then they had to go back to that reality. That's why God made himself a man. See, God looked down on reality. He looked down on our world and he saw our brokenness. He saw our broken lives, our broken emotions, our broken families, our broken marriages, our broken bank accounts, even our broken bodies. He had splagna, compassion on us and said, I need to suffer together with people. He made himself a man. And he came down to earth and he lived as Jesus, living a life so that he could understand what we go through. And what we learn is the problem is not that we're sick, not that we're hungry, not that our bank account is broke, not that our houses might be in shambles. The problem is the problem that Jesus saw and had compassion on was not our physical brokenness, but our spiritual problem. He saw that we were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Yes, all of those physical things are tragic, but the problem isn't that we're broken. The problem is that we're like sheep without a shepherd. Like Jesus uses this sheep-shepherd analogy several times as he's teaching crowds of people because it was the language that they would have understood. They got, they got sheep, they got shepherds, they had family members who did shepherding, and so they understood that whole thing. Jesus goes on in John chapter 10 to give us a little better picture, and I'm glad he did because I mean, I don't know if there's anyone in this room who has sheep of their own, and if you do, you probably treat them more like dogs than sheep. Um, but I doubt there are many in New Hanover County, okay? So we don't get sheep very much. But let's take a look at John chapter 10 as Jesus describes the relationship between a sheep and a shepherd. John chapter 10, starting at verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Like the hired hand is not the shepherd. He doesn't own the sheep and so he doesn't care and so when he sees a wolf coming he abandons the sheep and he runs away he's scared he doesn't love the sheep the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it the man runs away because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep but verse 14 kills it jesus says i am the good shepherd i know my sheep and my sheep know me jesus had compassion on the hurting the broken the outcast the sinner, and I'm not throwing stones or pointing fingers, but I'm just gonna call us all out. That's all of us. We've all got issues, we've all got problems, and we've done things that have separated us from a relationship with God by our own decision. But Jesus says, because of my love, I'm willing, down to, I'm willing to lay down my life to save the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. Why doesn't Jesus just fix it? Why doesn't he just fix all the problems? Why doesn't he just fix all the brokenness? Why doesn't he just cure all the cancer and all the AIDS? Why doesn't he just stop all the bad stuff? Because that's not what he came for. He didn't come to fix all of our broken things physically. Does he do that? Absolutely. Actually, as you see his example throughout the Bible, what he does is he starts by meeting people's physical needs. But through that, he shows them the promise of what he really came to do. He came to heal our soul. He came to hear us, heal us on a spiritual level and he wants to do what will lead us to spiritual healing, not just physical fixing. That's Jesus' goal. That's Jesus', Jesus mission. He healed the masses while he traveled because he wanted to show them his power. He wanted to prove that he was who he says he was. Once he was uh, making this same point, uh, he's in Luke chapter five this time. It's just another book that talks about Jesus' life. And he's standing with this man who's paralyzed. 
And he looks down at the man and he makes a claim that says, your sins are forgiven to the man who is paralyzed. Now there are these skeptics standing around. They're like, who does this guy Jesus think he is? Claiming to have the authority to forgive sins. Nobody can forgive sins but God. Nobody can forgive sins but God alone. So Jesus says, fine. You wanna know that I have the power to forgive sins? In Luke chapter five, verse 23, he says this to the skeptics, which is easier. To say, your sins are forgiven. Or to say to the paralyzed man he was talking to, get up and walk. Which one's easier? See, anyone can claim to have the authority to forgive sins. I could go downtown, stand on the corner and be like, hey, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Not sure about you, but I'm thinking about it. Your sins, like I could claim that and all that would make me is crazy, right? People are like, what's this guy claiming to do? And so they could say the same thing about Jesus. He claims to forgive sins, but there's no way to check up on that. We don't have spiritual goggles so we can see if sins are forgiven or not. So Jesus says, all right, tell you what, which one's easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to look at this paralyzed man and say, get up and walk. Let's look at the rest of the verse, starting back up at 23 again. He says, but I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he says to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately, he stood in front of them with what he, what he had been lying on, and he went home, praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God, and they were filled with awe, and they said, we've seen remarkable things today, which is probably the understatement of the year for whoever said that. Jesus comes in and he says, I got the authority to forgive your sins. I came to heal you spiritually. I'm doing these miracles to show that I am who I say that I am. Jesus didn't just come to heal the body. He came to heal the soul. We've been in this series called Soul Food for several weeks now. And today, I want you to know that Jesus' main goal in coming to earth was to heal our broken spirit. Because our sin separates us from God. But Jesus says, I can fix that. That's what I came to do. Jesus had compassion on the masses, including us, guys. He comes to us and he says, listen, I see your brokenness. I see your hurting and I see your pain. And I'm willing to lay down my life. If you've been hurting, guys, I hope I'm speaking to one person this morning, maybe a group of you. If you've been hurting, if you've been in pain, maybe it's been physically, maybe it's been spiritually, maybe you just feel like you're wandering around going, I just need some direction. Point me to a path that will work. Maybe you've cried out to God because you feel like he's not listening. I know I've been there. Maybe you have too. There's so many stories that end that way. I cried out to God. I felt like he wasn't listening. Screw God. Maybe that's been you. Maybe you've got a friend going through right now. Because maybe God didn't heal your hurt immediately. Or maybe it's been 10 years and your hurt is still not healed you've given up on God or you have doubts about his goodness, I want to tell you, Jesus doesn't promise to fix everything physically. That's not one of the promises Jesus offers. He can, and he has for many, many people. But there are many times in life where he goes, no, there's something deeper that I need you to recognize first. There's something deeper that I need you to see, and it's the spiritual thing that's happening in your life. Your soul has meaning, your soul has purpose, and I need you to aim it at me because that's the only hope. Because what I can give you is not only a better life, but a brand new life. That when you accept me, when you are baptized into my name, and when you come out of the water, Romans chapter six, verses one through four, promise us that those of us 
who are buried with Christ in baptism will rise to walk in newness of life. That's a promise you can hang your hat on, that not only will things on this earth improve, but that eternally your soul will be connected with God. And so we're in Matthew chapter nine and Jesus is walking and he has compassion on the people. Let's look at it again, Matthew 9, 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion, splagna on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. But what happens next is pretty awesome. Jesus, the great healer, the good shepherd, the God and creator of the universe, God in the flesh, he sees all the hurting. And then he does something unexpected to me. I don't know if it's unexpected to you. It's unexpected to me. He then turns to his followers. There's this group of people, the disciples. There are all these people that are just following Jesus, trying to learn how to live the life that he tells them to live. And he says this to them. Starting in verse 37, he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. This is a little bit of an unexpected twist for me. Maybe it is for you. Then as Jesus looks at the world and he has compassion, splagna, he was to suffer together with us. His solution, people. He looked at his disciples and says, my solution is you. And he says it to us. My solution to the hurting in the world is you. Because he could have stayed and he could have done miracle after miracle after miracle for the next 2,000 years and people would have flocked to him to see the show. But that wasn't his plan. For whatever reason, that wasn't Jesus' plan. In fact, I think part of the reason it wasn't his plan was because there were people that saw him do miracles and they still didn't believe in him. So Jesus is like, I'm not just here to be a freak show to entertain you. I want to show you a better way. Because you know what people believe in more than miracles? They believe in the stories they hear from people's lives who have been changed. If I can stand here and tell you what Jesus has done for my life, for my family, for my ability to break temptations and addiction, and I can say, it works. You don't care how many rabbits I can pull out of a hat. You just go, I'm interested in what he's talking about. That's the appeal of Jesus. It works. He says, look at these people. They're like sheep without a shepherd. There are plenty of people who need help. And he calls this group of people, all of us really, a harvest. He said the world needs is not, the, what the world needs is not more miracles. What the world needs is workers who are willing to go into the harvest field and tell people about the shepherd. That's why Venture Church exists, guys. That's why we're here. We started over a year ago because there was a group of people who saw hurting and pain in our city. And we said, we know the shepherd. We gotta make sure people hear about it. And that's why you're here if you've come as a guest in the last 12 or 13 months. Because one of your friends said, listen, there's something you gotta hear about. And you came and you've become a part of our community. The thing is, we've got to leave the comfort zone of our life and we've got to enter into other people's hurting and tell them about the good shepherd. We've got to go with them and suffer together with them, have compassion on them because Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray that the Lord of the harvest will rise up workers who will come and tell people about God's love. In the fall of 2012, I got to fly down to Ecuador 
and I got to visit the city of, of Quito and Manta, uh, which are pretty awesome cities there. And I was there with about 20 other pastors from America who were in churches just like ours. They're very new churches. And Compassion International likes to partner with churches in America and take their leadership down to one of their compassion sites. They've got them in countries all over the world and show them the operations of Compassion International to say, listen, this is what we do. This is how we take the splagna compassion of God to people who are hurting and living in poverty. And I can tell you, compassion is a well-oiled machine. I can stand on the stage and fully endorse it and say, look, there's, there's not overhead that's going to pay the man somewhere. The things that people do for Compassion International go directly to children who are in need. Because Jesus always started by meeting people's physical needs first, but he never stopped there. The one thing I love about Compassion International is that they work exclusively through the local church. Like churches that are local to the villages uh, that they're serving, those are the, that is the workforce that reaches out into that community. And the home health nurses that go into the people's houses to teach uh, new mothers about prenatal care and how to take care of their babies, they come out of the local congregation. Those people are trained and sent out. And the educators and the teachers that they have in the schools that they help set up in those communities, they come out of the local church because Compassion International believes in the local church. And guys, we are a local church. And so they take us down there and they say, look, this is what we do and here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about partnering with us. I want you to take your local community and see what you guys can do to help. Kids in the program, they sign up through the local village church. And they're paired with American partners, sponsors, who send a check every month that goes through Compassion International, the organization, and gets filtered down so that their needs are met. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. Guys, there's a lot of things that we could do in the world to make the world a better place to live. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Maybe you're not feeling like Jesus has called you to be like a missionary in China. Maybe you're not feeling like you should go plant a new church somewhere and stand as a testament that that's not real easy. Maybe you're not feeling even that you need to get up and, and talk out loud at your small group because, whoo, that's scary. You've got anxiety like crazy. But you hear about the compassion of Jesus and you're like, man, I gotta get, I gotta do that. This morning I wanna offer you a couple of opportunities that as you hear stories about pain and suffering in the world and your gut begins to splagna, that you can say, there's something I can put my finger on. I wanna be a worker in the harvest field. This is something I can do. There's a lot of things I, I can say right here. The first thing I wanna say is this. Maybe you're in the audience right now and you just came, this is your first, second, third time, uh, and and and. I don't know, maybe you, you didn't set your clock back and you actually thought you were coming to work out, but really you're like an hour ahead of schedule. I don't know. But maybe what you just needed to hear today is that God, the God of the universe, has had compassion on us. Did you know that what he did was became a man? The name is Jesus. When Jesus became a man, when God became a man, that was Jesus. And in his compassion, he decided to live along man, alongside mankind. He ended up giving his own life because he wanted to take the place for our sin, which is only punishable by our physical death. But then check this out, Jesus, because he did have the power to forgive sins and the authority to do miracles, he rose himself from the dead. This is the story of Jesus. And through that resurrection of his physical body, he gave us access to God's love. 
I don't know how it works. I'm not a spiritual engineer. I'm just telling you what God has told us. And what I want to encourage you to do, if you're just here, just checking it out, or you've only been coming a couple of weeks, is check into some of that compassion. Learn more about it. Ask questions. Ask the hard questions. There's no question too hard. And maybe accept that compassion for yourself and say, I, I want to be a part of this community of people who believe in Jesus. Maybe you need a more tangible thing to put your hand on. I want to give you two opportunities. Um, the first one is this. I want to uh, go back to this because I haven't mentioned it yet. Today is uh, National Orphan Sunday. And, uh, and, and there's an organization right here in our community called the Bear Foundation. We've got their graphic up here. The Bear Foundation is an organization. Uh, did you know that in the state of North Carolina, there are, there are over 700 children in the foster care system waiting to be adopted? They're in a system and they're just waiting for someone that can invite them in. You know, for those of you who may have been thinking about this for a while, I want to let you know that this is a day that you can begin to think about making a difference in someone's life. We've got a family right now in our community here who's actually going through the process of becoming eligible to have foster care children come into their home. Uh, it is rigorous. You have to do training. You have to learn some things. You have to get your house prepared and have a social worker come check out all your baggage. You know what? You change somebody's life. What if as a church some of those children's lives are changed because one family says, we've got room. We've got a little more love and a little more space in our house and a little more food. Let's welcome them in. It's National Orphan Sunday. Uh, you can learn a little bit more about that by checking out um, jointheventure.com and go to compassion-sunday. There's a link to National Orphan Sunday. But maybe you want something, like opening your house to an, a foster care child or an orphan is like, whoo, okay, that's... We're diving in deep there. I don't know if I can get into this place. I wanna offer you something a little bit more tangible. Compassion International offers you opportunities to sponsor children. And this is not a commercial. This is not a sales pitch. This is not, I'd made a joke about the Sarah McLaughlin commercial earlier. Like this is not a time for us to play sappy music and for anybody to feel guilty or, or compelled to do anything. The Bible actually teaches us that we should be cheerful givers and we shouldn't give out of compulsion or guilt. But maybe this has been something on your mind as we've talked over the last few weeks about Compassion Sunday coming up. What we have is a table over here on this side of the room that's uh, it's got, well, it started with 29 packets of kids, each packet representing one kid living in a, in a village in Ecuador. Um, I think several of our volunteers have already picked up some, so I don't know how many are left right now, but we can get more. My goal is for us to have all of those packets gone in the next week or two, where you could take, pick up one of those packets, think about it, look at the child's face, read a little bit about them, and ask yourself, is there room in my personal financial budget to support this child at $38 a month? And you can read about all the things that the Compassionate International provides to this kid. But, but let me tell you something that's the most awesome thing. Yes, they'll get food. Yes, they'll get medical care. Yes, they'll get education. But you know what? Since Compassionate International partners with the local church, all of those kids get exposure to Jesus. And the spiritual turmoil that might have put them in the situation that they're in to begin with becomes alleviated because why? Jesus works. 